The following podcast is not meant for children or for liberals, even though that's pretty much the same thing these days, but that's what we're here for. Somebody's got to keep these brats in line. Anyway, you've been warned. It's the right opinion. These days, our media's either incompetent or malevolent. They don't believe in heaven, but they acting like they haven't sent. Knowing the truth is way harder than telling it. We gotta work harder, gotta be more intelligent. Sometimes we just gotta grab a mic and start yelling shit. We're living in times when it's hard to stay relevant. Be the elephant in the room in a room full of elephants. Be the elephant in the room in a room full of elephants. Boom. Welcome back to The Right Opinion right here at rightopinionpod.substack.com and therightopinion.podbean.com and hominmediagroup.podbean.com and ratsaladreview.com if they are still brave enough to have me, which I believe they are. Check out all of those fine places, hominmediagroup.podbean.com and ratsaladreview.com. Those are affiliates here of The Right Opinion and they have the temerity to carry the right opinion on their podcast waves and we applaud them for it and for that i ask you to go check them out also check out yours truly like i said most importantly at rightopinionpod.substack.com and on the social medias the twitter the instagram and the parlor even though i'm i'm just terrible with the parloring i can't help it there's just not a lot of activity there. It doesn't really function like Twitter the way I kind of hoped it would. It is what it is, but it is an alternative. And for that, I have a profile and I support them to some degree, I suppose. But find me on those social medias at Right Opinion Pod. Or last but not least, you could just search the Right Opinion on any of your pod catchers, and it will be the one with the thumbnail that's black and white and red all over, like the New York Times used to be. Anyway, we've got lots to get into this week. I'm going to get a little personal towards the end of the show, but I'm going to hit all the big topics of the week. We've got Andrew Cuomo. We've got coronavirus, obviously. We've got eviction moratoriums and vaccines and a whole variety of other nonsense. So let's let's get the lead story here. Andrew Cuomo, um, it was found via an investigation by the Attorney General's office in the state of New York that Mr. Cuomo probably, in all likelihood, did in fact uh, cross the threshold of harassment with multiple different women that have worked for him over time. Uh, Of course, Cuomo is still denying the allegations, but the Democrats have called several prominent Democrats, including New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio and President Useless Sack of Potatoes, have all come out and said that, you know, obviously he should resign uh, de Blasio went as far as to say if he doesn't resign, he should be impeached. So uh, that's, that's yeah, you know, all well and good. This has been fuel for the Twitter libs out there to start to make it look like, oh, look at the Democrats. When we actually have a problem in-house, we clean house. And then they go ahead and they liken this, of course, to stupid things like Matt Gates, who is, by the way, under investigation currently. And if he is found guilty, we will, in all likelihood oust him from the party in the same way we ousted Steve King not that long ago for making claims of uh, or making you know sympathetic remarks towards white nationalism. The bottom line is, is like when the Republicans fuck up and, and it's found that they're guilty, we get rid of them. And the Democrats do the same thing, but 
the Democrats fight tooth and nail the whole way, pretending like they're morally superior. That's the real difference here, is that they both do the same thing. We all do this, right? We we assume, or at least to a certain extent, that the people on our side of the aisle are innocent until proven guilty. We're probably less empathetic to people on the other side of the aisle more times than not, and certainly more times than we should be. This is natural. We all do this. But the Democrats pretend that they don't do it, and then they pretend they have the moral high ground because they don't acknowledge that they do it so that they obviously don't do it. This is like CNN, where they pretend that they're not biased, even though everyone knows they're biased. But because they don't acknowledge their bias, they're, they're superior because they are, in fact, unbiased. You see how this works? Anyway, so Andrew Cuomo caught red-handed, it looks like here. And uh, we're going to see how this all plays out. I'm not particularly optimistic that he is going to resign or that he's going to be impeached, or that there'll be some sort of recall election. Uh, I am, you know, for what it's worth, to throw Fredo's older brother here, I guess Michael, a uh, a little bone here. I, I'm a little weary of an investigation that's conducted by the office of a woman who clearly wants his job, you know? It would be like having Pence investigate Trump, or, or for that matter, Kamala Harris investigate Biden. You know, there, there's a certain degree of maybe... You know, and I don't know how directly she was involved in the investigation, but it was obviously being run out of her office, and people in her office obviously have a vested interest in her um, accelerating through the ranks uh, of, of politics because they'll probably go with her. So um, that, is, that what for what it's worth, it's worth throwing that out there just because that is such a weird circumstance where you have somebody who clearly wants to have your job basically running an investigation to determine whether or not you're fit to keep your job. Anyway, so again, I just wanted to point out once more that they are likening this to Trump and to Kavanaugh and to Matt Gates, saying things like, oh, well, if you want Cuomo to go, but you were okay with X, Y, and Z, well, then you're a hypocrite. Well, let's examine the evidence here, as I tweeted. Uh, in Donald Trump's case, you had really no hard evidence. Certainly, there was a number of people that came forward, many of which were dismissed by the media, and the ones that were touted by the media were, were people like E. Jean Carroll, who went on TV and proved just how batshit crazy she was. And on top of it said stuff like, well, rape is sort of romantic. And then rambled about how women are getting raped at the border as if that's Donald Trump's fault somehow. And not the fault of the party that's welcoming people across a desert where, by the way, 31% of women who make that journey end up sexually assaulted in some way, shape, or form. That's Donald Trump. Then you got Matt Gates. Again, I said he's under investigation. If it turns out that he's a sicko, fuck him. If not, you know, we'll we'll get to throw it back in the left's face. So either way, we get to win because we get to play the moral high ground if we get rid of him. And uh, we don't, you know, but but that doesn't actually work when you're a Republican. So never mind. Then you got Brett Kavanaugh. No really credible witnesses came forward. The closest thing they had was Christine Blase Ford who could not find a corroborating witness, doesn't remember when the incident happened, doesn't remember really anything about the incident, it seems, and uh, and may have possibly kind of, you know, been involved with in certain social activities with Brett Kavanaugh at the time, but maybe not. We know that her own father didn't necessarily believe her. <laughs> So uh, then you had things like Julie Swetnick and the Michael Avenatti thing. Remember him? Yeah, he's in jail right now, and no one's heard from her, even though she should probably have to face some consequences for these outlandish allegations of gang rape that she had thrust upon 
Brett Kavanaugh, I guess pun intended there. But uh, yeah, so these things are not equivalent in any way, shape, or form. Andrew Cuomo's own attorney general, granted, again, everything I said before about her wanting his job, but she's a Democrat. She was his attorney general. She's the one that determined that he's probably guilty of these things and that he probably broke both state and federal law in the process. Well, I think we know the next logical step in this process. We got to lock him up. I mean, even if he does resign or he gets impeached, he he probably broke state and federal law here at a bare minimum. I want to see this man get perp-walked, charged, tried, and then we'll see how it shakes out for him. But it doesn't look too good for him at the moment. And, of course, he had the nerve to continue to deny all of this stuff because why, why, why not? I mean, we even had—and here's why, ultimately, I'm not optimistic that anything's going to happen to him. See Virginia. The governor of Virginia— the governor of Virginia was either in blackface or a Klansman outfit. We still don't know which, but he was definitely one of the two by his own admission. Still the governor of Virginia. And, oh, by the way, openly talked on a radio show about the process of killing an infant that had been born. That, an infant that, by the way, had the audacity to survive an abortion. Uh, this was baby born alive. And he described the process that he supported, by the way, where they would let that baby, quote unquote, comfortably, you know, they would make it comfortable and let it die in a room alone. That's that's the governor of Virginia right now. And yeah, something could be said about this sexual, these sexual allegations uh, against Andrew Cuomo are probably the way the Democrats that are sick of him and are pissed off that he was so unbelievably wrong and unbelievably pompous all throughout the whole pandemic. This is their little way of getting rid of him without admitting that they too were wrong and pompous throughout the course of the pandemic. So uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes here. I'm not optimistic again, but hey, stranger things have happened. See literally everything, probably virtually everything that's happened in the last five years. Just we're in a wacky ass timeline. It's a it's a it's a, it's a nexus event that occurred probably circa Donald Trump's election that is has shaken the the multiverse forever. Anyway, so let's let's stick with the topic of ridiculous leftists, obviously going from Andrew Cuomo to just general leftism and people who just don't seem to understand how the world works in any way, shape, or form. Leftists are incapable of nuance. If you don't like a bill that just so happens to maybe help someone somewhere, you obviously want that person to die. That's how they process things. I'm going to give you a couple of examples here, and I have at least audio for one of them. So let's start with that one. Mika Brzezinski on uh, MSNBC in the morning, Morning Joe or whatever the fuck, her husband Joe Scarborough, and the two of them, you know, were mucking it up with Donald Trump all those years ago until it wasn't fashionable, and then suddenly they didn't care anymore. We all remember the story of Mika showing up with the bloody post-facelift face at Mar-a-Lago and Trump being like, you get out of here with your bloody face, horse face, bloody face, hashtag bloody horse face. Anyway, so uh, that's uh, that whole story. Mika hates Donald Trump and, and as a result hates all Trump supporters and, and all Republicans really and obviously she's on MSNBC and she's a radical leftist and the, the facelift and all of these things taken into account. Her opinion is worth absolutely nothing but she's on TV every day and there are morons on the left that take her opinion seriously. So here she is completely misunderstanding the nuance of how Ron DeSantis has been handling the COVID situation. So just to give you a quick synopsis of Ron DeSantis's crazy 
complicated, confusing stance on on the vaccine and COVID and all this sort of stuff. Ron's very pro-vaccine. He wants people who want to get the vaccine to get the vaccine. He wants people that are in the vulnerable groups to be prioritized for the vaccine, and he wants them to get the vaccine. On the other hand, he doesn't want you to be forced to get the vaccine, and he most certainly doesn't want people who have been vaccinated, or for that matter, people who have chose not to be vaccinated, to be forced to wear Chinese face diapers anymore because that's just ridiculous and should have never been happening in the first place. This is Ron DeSantis's crazy opinion because he's pro-vaccine, but he's not pro-mandate. Mika seems to be confused. This goes back to something that Ben Shapiro says all the time, even though I'm fairly certain he's quoting somebody else, and I can't seem to remember who that person is. But basically, everything on the left is either mandatory or banned. You need to you need to either go all in on everything, or that thing needs to be banned completely because God forbid anybody ever enjoy themselves, ever. So here's Mika talking about Ron DeSantis, and uh, we'll we'll pick up on uh, what her issues are on the other side. What is going on in Florida? I I know Governor Ron DeSantis supports the vaccine, but this masking non-mandate or whatever you want to call it seems very counter to the science. And also we've had a governor who's been flouting Fauci, making fun of, uh, you know, the the top doctor in the United States. I, I feel like he's sending a very mixed message to his constituents. The faux concern for his constituents when she couldn't she wouldn't piss on them if they were on fire is first and foremost the problem here, right? Like they they talk down to you. They are pompous in their stupidity. They are so confidently wrong all of the time and no one ever calls them out on it. Hence, this confidence that they have that is completely ridiculous. It's it's quixotic. They're just out there fighting windmills. They're the fucking heroes in this story. And you are just the boob who doesn't fully understand that that's really a dragon when it's actually a windmill. So that here they are, here she is, completely baffled by how on one hand Ron DeSantis can say, I think these vaccines are effective, I think they're particularly effective when it comes to the people in the vulnerable groups, the obese, the elderly, and those with serious pre-existing conditions, those people should most definitely get the vaccine, the science dictates as such. But if you're young and you're healthy, and certainly if you're a young, healthy child, You have no business being forced to get this vaccine. If you want to get it, go ahead and get it. It's free. You can talk about how virtuous you are. You're helping the world, blah, 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 blah. But Ron doesn't want you to be forced to go get a vaccine. And because the vaccine is readily available at this point, and everybody has had an opportunity to get that vaccine, other than the 0.02% of people that can't get it, We're going to hold them aside here because we don't make policy, or certainly we shouldn't, based on 0.2% of the population. I don't know that that's the actual number, but you know what I'm saying. So Ron doesn't want you to be forced to get the vaccine, and because the vaccine is available, and everybody's pretty much made up their mind at this point as to whether or not they're going to get it, sans some super variant that pops up, which, by the way, they're already pushing the Delta Super Plus variant, or the Lambda variant, or the... The Delta Ultra Violent variant or whatever the fuck it's going to be. It's going to be just we're going to run out of stuff before we get to the point to where they're done with the fear porn. But Ron is pro-vaccine. And he said, look, go get the vaccine, guys. If you want to go get it, go get it. 
But now that everyone's had a chance to go get it, we're not going to ask people that did go get it to inconvenience themselves with the Chinese face diapers for the sake of the people that could have gotten it and have chosen not to. And for that matter, the people that have chosen not to, we're not going to keep them in Chinese face diapers forever because they've chosen not to get an experimental vaccine that's still not fully authorized by the FDA for regular use, especially when they're not in any serious risk of dying of this disease. We're going to talk about some of the numbers, especially when it comes to kids a little bit later on. But let's one more example of nuance. So Marjorie Taylor Greene, who is not my favorite Republican, certainly not my favorite politician, although she has her moments, right? She's she's fighting the left. She swings and misses a lot. Once in a blue moon, she triggers the shit out of people to the point to where they expose themselves for the ignorant fools that they ultimately are. Marjorie Taylor Greene apparently at some rally, although I didn't find the quote, I just found an infinite number of tweets. See, this is what happens when you're a Twitter, uh, you know, censorship Gestapo out there is that you push the nonsense. The anti-Marjorie Taylor Greene stuff gets pushed. But because we couldn't dare push a video that featured Marjorie Taylor Greene saying the quote that all the liberals that are shitting on her for are, are getting pushed for. Now we can't ultimately find out whether or not she actually said this because I couldn't find a fucking video of it anywhere. Anyway, so back to the story. Apparently, don't even know that this is true necessarily, but even if it were, it still exposed the left for their stupidity as usual and their inability to have any sort of nuanced thought about anything. So Marjorie Taylor Greene said that if people come to your door and try to ask you to get vaccinated, maybe people should... I believe she said exercise her second their second amendment rights. This led to all of the Twitter libs, the blue check marks, all the whiny bitches out there with three followers and eggshell fucking, you know, uh profile pictures. All these people were disgusted that Marjorie Taylor Greene would tell people to shoot and murder fine folks that are simply going around and asking you to get vaccinated. Now, is that actually what happened? No. She said to exercise your Second Amendment right. The Second Amendment gives you the right to bear arms, which, by the way, should not be infringed, but nonetheless is all the time. So the Second Amendment gives you the right to bear arms, not to fire them willy-nilly at people, certainly not for just to shoot people who show up at your front door. They, the leftists, the liberals, the academics, the experts, the science, blah, 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 all these morons— they cannot separate the fact that one could own a gun and not actively go out and shoot people all the time. They assume that just by the mere fact that you have a gun in your possession, you want to murder somebody. They can't, they can't separate the two. Guns equal death. And yeah, sometimes that's the case. That's certainly their intended purpose. But if that were true, we'd all be dead because there's more guns than there are people in the United States. And that's just a silly line of logic to begin with. You have the right to bear arms. Not that I'm suggesting Mar Marjorie Taylor Greene is capable of thinking on this level as well, but certainly if somebody came to your door to ask for a vaccination status and you showed up with your gun at your hip, I think they'd get the message pretty quickly that, hey, you're probably not vaccinated, and B, get the fuck off of my porch. So, you know, that's what she's saying, but because of the trigger level that she delivers, and, and again, not my favorite person, not my favorite Republican even, she's 
she's whatever. She's she's an idiot. Okay, let's be real about this. She's an idiot. But more times than not, she does bring this sort of thing out on the left. And so the left immediately draws the line. They just say it out loud. We think the Second Amendment means that people think that they have the right to just murder people when that's obviously not the case. Obviously. Like I said, if that were the if that were true, every single gun in this country would have killed at least one person and we'd all be dead. And that's that's not what's happening not by a long shot. So, the left's clearly incapable of nuance. They can they cannot look at Ron DeSantis and think, "Oh, here's a guy who's actually looking at the science and for that matter making some smart public policy decisions in conjunction with looking at the science." No, no, no. They, he's he's making fun of Fauci, which means he's obviously wrong even though Fauci's only been proven wrong a bajillion times, but in fairness, he's also been right a bajillion times because every time you ask him a question, he changes his answer. It's very bizarre. He's had, he's got all the positions. He's like he's like a freaking Stretch Armstrong out here. He's just like all over the place. You tied him into a knot, but he managed to snap himself back together and take every position all over again. So that's it on the leftists and their inability to nuance. Let's move on to the eviction moratorium has ended, or at least it did for a hot second there. So for those of you who are unaware of what this even means, is that at some point during the pandemic, the CDC decided that it has the power to tell all landlords everywhere they are not allowed to evict anybody for any reason because there's a public health crisis going on. This was obviously silly when it happened. It should have never happened. And it's it's nice in theory, right? Here, here's how the left always works, right? They're, they, they start with a good idea. And then they don't think it through ever. <laughs> That's kind of how this works. So they think, oh, well, we, we shouldn't kick people out of their homes in the middle of this pandemic. Like, where are they going to go? And how do you even go look for apartments and stuff right now? It's very difficult. It's going gonna, it's gonna to spread the disease if we have that kind of commerce going on. So let's just cut all that off and tell everybody that they are not allowed to evict anybody for any reason at all because of the, the public health crisis. This, of course, the Center for Disease Control a series of unelected bureaucrats that don't have this power at all because it has absolutely nothing to do directly, certainly, with controlling a disease. They, they should worry about the disease and maybe suggestions for public policy people, but they don't have the right to actually come in and make a law. That's not how any of this works. You know how I know this? Well, the Supreme Court actually ruled this recently, saying that they never had the right to do this in the first place, and as the eviction moratorium expires... On August 1st, 2021, it will be incumbent upon Congress to act and either give the CDC by law the ability to do this or to write some sort of legislation extending it themselves and have the president sign it, I would, I would imagine. They didn't do this. They waited until the day before, and then they all sent out tweets going, oh my God, this eviction moratorium is going to end tomorrow. What, look at these monsters out here going to kick all these people out of their homes. Mind you, no regard whatsoever for landlords who have been possibly housing people for months on end without collecting any rent whatsoever. As a matter of fact, I read at least one story about a woman who had to take up a second job in order to pay for the rent that they're not getting from these people who are increasingly treating them like assholes despite the fact that they've contributed absolutely nothing towards the household in which they live. It's just disgusting. These people are gross. And, and of course, the leftists again, incapable of nuance. They just, they think a landlord 
and because they think everything is some sort of fucking wacko Indian-esque caste system, they think, oh, well, these landlords are so much wealthier than the people that they're renting to. Like, really? How much money do you think they're making on rent every month? And you don't think that the cost of, of being a landlord is, is extraordinarily high? If that was the case, why aren't you a landlord? You have to first and foremost own property. That's something that most people don't have under their belts. And from there, you have to not only own property, but own enough property to house both yourself and your renter and or renters. It's not exactly an easy thing to accumulate that much property. It's not cheap. And again, if it were, everyone would do it if it was as easy as these Twitter libs seem to think that it is. Mind you, again, these people have been housing people getting no rent in return, potentially. And at a certain point, because the eviction moratorium exists, you have to imagine that tenants, whether they could afford to or not, may or may not have been paying their rent just because they knew that they didn't have to. And a lot of these people will owe back rent and they'll default on it and they'll just dip out and they'll go live in another place when this is all over. But the landlords, who, by the way, were supposed to get a lot of money in all these relief packages, haven't. The renters, who have been getting money through the unemployment, haven't been paying rent. So who's really winning out in this situation? The renters who have been living rent-free and getting extra money for their unemployment this whole time? If they haven't been unemployed, why the fuck aren't they paying their rent? See how this all works? Well, all we're doing at the end of the day is screwing over hardworking Americans that accumulated enough property in order to be able to share some of that property at a price relative to the market to four other people to be able to house their families. And uh, what do they get for it? Shit on. Good job, everybody. This is just another example of the left trying to redistribute wealth to a certain extent. And they don't understand that, yes, it sounds lovely to, to take all of these evil rich people, take their money, and give it to poor people. That sounds good in that transaction for the poor people. But ultimately, the poor people will likely remain poor despite the fact that you continue to funnel money to them because they don't have any skills, they don't have any ability to maintain their own worth and to continue to pay their own bills, so you would have to just keep giving them money, taking more money away from the wealthy, which is only going to create more poor because the wealthy aren't going to invest in creating as much business, buying as many products, meaning that there's less of a demand for you know mid to low le low skill work meaning more poor, meaning more handouts, meaning more money from the rich. And this cycle continues until we're all basically making about $40,000 a year. And, uh, and that's it. Everybody. No one's able to invest in things. We're all living hand to mouth. Now, obviously, it's a bit extreme. Jeff Bezos isn't coming down to our level anytime soon. But I'm, I'm always flabbergasted in the left's ability to want to hand money to people who, quite frankly, aren't very good with money all the while taking money away from people who create things and purchase expensive products that need to be made and delivered by people with mid to low levels of skill, which are the people that typically find themselves in poverty. It's just, it's, it's astounding. Again, it's a good idea. They just didn't think it through at all. All right, so let's get into the more general topic of the vaccines, of the variants, of the virus, yada, yada, yada. Before I do any of that, I just want to go ahead and pat myself on the back for being remarkably consistent, having a science-based and logic-based rationale about this virus, about these vaccines, this whole way through. I'm much akin to Ron DeSantis. I've been fairly nuanced, but fairly clear and damn near perfectly consistent 
from the get-go. If you're young and healthy, this is not something you need to be all that concerned about. Now, if you have people in your life, older, fatter, unhealthy people, that you're concerned about transmitting this to, get the vaccine if you want, or stay the fuck away from them. There's many options here. I do want to say that if you're going to your doctor and you're asking them about this vaccine and they are giving you any reason to get the vaccine other than your personal health, I would not only tell them to fuck off, but I would leave that doctor's office and I would go find another doctor. Your doctor, your personal doctor, is to be concerned about your personal health and your personal health only. If they're telling you you should get it because you might save blah, 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 no, no, no. The people that don't have it right now, again, other than that extraordinarily tiny minority of people that can't get it for whatever reason, the people that are out here getting it are people that had a chance to get vaccinated and are not getting vaccinated. I have not been anti-vax. I'm anti this vaccination for me personally because I don't think I'm in any sort of high-risk pool when it comes to this virus. I think children are in an even lower risk pool than I am. I'm in my mid-30s. I've been smoking most of my adult life, slash my entire adult life, and some of my childhood life, but that's neither here nor there. I, I'm, you know, I'm not completely without risk. Might I have an underlying condition? Yeah, I guess it's possible. I don't think so. I'm relatively healthy. I'm in halfway decent shape. I could definitely afford to do a few more push-ups these days, but other than that, I'm doing okay. I'm relatively fine. And like I said, I'm, you know, in. I'm below 40 I don't have any pre-existing conditions. I'm not obese. I'm not even close. I'm good as far as this virus goes, in all likelihood, barring some sort of crazy, legitimate variant. I'm not all that concerned about the Delta as of yet. As we've seen, there have been spikes in several countries that it got hit, that, that it hit there before it hit here. It went up. It came back down. We're talking 40 days. Dr. Scott Gottlieb, former member of the you know, former advisor for the Trump administration on all this, came out recently and said that he thinks that we're probably about halfway through our Delta rush here, and we'll see what happens on the other end of it. Again, we're already starting to see stories about Lambda variants and Delta plus variants and blah, 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 blah. We're going to run out of letters long before, as I said before, they run out of fear porn. So that said, I followed through. I have not gotten the vaccine. I don't plan on getting the vaccine. And pretty much any time I talk to talk about it with anybody, I tell them everything I tell you every time I talk about this. That said, as many of you know, I'm a single dad. And uh, my, uh, my daughter's mother wants to get my daughter vaccinated. And as you all know, the uh, white male patriarchy runs everything, so naturally I have the ability to just snap my fingers and stop that from happening. Oh, oh wait, that's not true. Yeah, next time somebody starts bitching at you about the patriarchy, you go ahead and tell them about this story. So, for what it's worth, and this is something you don't typically hear from single dads about their baby's mother, but I have the utmost respect for my daughter's mother. I, I think, you know, she's obviously, I had feelings for her at a certain point. Those feelings weren't completely misguided, at least certainly not at the time. She was actually a pre pretty good influence for me at the time because she was kind of a goody-goody. And as you can imagine, when I was younger, I was a fucking wild man. So uh, she, she brought me down a couple pegs. And then obviously she told me she was pregnant and that knocked me down several more. 
So, um, but that said, I think she's a reasonable person. We share a lot of the same values. I trust her as far as obviously not only raising my daughter, but on particular issues. She's an educator, and despite the fact I don't have the most respect for educators in general, certainly recently, she's always been one that I have valued her opinion and respect her opinion and trust her in a large variety of subjects, particularly when it comes to my favorite person on the planet Earth. Little Ber- little Miss Bergeron. So when she told me she was going to be getting uh, Little Miss Bergeron vaccinated, mind you, I had to ask before she came and told me, which kind of tells you she kind of knew where my take would be on all this. But um, I said, look, I'm really not a huge fan of this, and I'd like to have a discussion about this. And she said, oh, well, you know, I've read all the stuff there is to read, and I've seen all the stories. And she even went as far as to, and to her credit, I believe her, read some of the data that's out there rather than reading these opinion articles and all this sort of stuff. So um, I was obviously not satisfied with this answer, um, and I pushed back for a little while, and I said, look, could we just hold off? I mean, obviously, the Delta variant is out there right now, and that, I believe, was what triggered her into thinking that this is something to take more seriously as far as our daughter's health goes. And look, I don't think she's coming at this from a place of, apathy I think she's coming at it from a place of empathy and sympathy and she wants to take care of our daughter I get that I just think she's going about it the wrong way and I also happen to be correct so I sent her an article recently I said look I'm not looking to change your mind on anything or I'm certainly I am looking to change your mind but I'm, I'm not expecting this one article to change your mind I'm just saying that this is definitely something to take into context because we're being told that children are Dropping dead left and right and blah, 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 blah. In actuality, here are some of the numbers. So here is an article from the Wall Street Journal. It is an opinion article, but it is, of course, the opinion of Dr. Marty Macari, who is a researcher at Johns Hopkins University. So, and I'm going to only read subsections of this, but the important ones. He starts the article, and I quote, A tremendous number of government and private policies affecting kids are based on one number, 300 and 35. That is how many children under 18 have died with a COVID diagnosis code in their record according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Yet the CDC, which has 21,000 employees, hasn't researched each death to find out whether COVID caused it or if it involved a pre-existing medical condition. Without these data, the CDC Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices decided in May that the benefits of two-dose vaccination outweigh the risks for all kids 12 to 15. I've written hundreds of peer-reviewed medical studies, and I can think of no journal editor who would accept the claim that 335 deaths resulted from a virus without data to indicate if the virus was incidental or causal, and without an analysis of relevant risk factors such as obesity. My research team at Johns Hopkins worked with the nonprofit Fair Health, to analyze approximately 48,000 children under 18 diagnosed with COVID in health insurance data from April to August of 2020. All right, now here's the important part. Our report found a mortality rate of zero among children without a pre-existing medical condition such as leukemia. If that trend holds, it has significant implications for healthy kids and whether they need two vaccine doses. The National Education Association has been debating whether to urge schools to require vaccination before returning to school in person. How can they or anyone debate the issue without the right data? 
And that's an end quote. So, all right, let's analyze that for a little bit. So only 335 kids have died with a COVID diagnosis on their record, meaning that we don't even know that COVID was the cause of those deaths. We also know that zero healthy kids died of COVID. Zero. Zero healthy kids died of COVID, according to the 48,000 COVID diagnoses that they analyzed from April to August of 2020 near the peak of all of this madness, or certainly during a a much more severe bout of it than we're currently going through. So, all right. They're obviously jumping to some conclusions here. Look, everybody's worried about the kids, but it looks like it doesn't mean like we need to worry about all the kids. It seems most kids are fine. And if you haven't been shoving all sorts of sugar and letting your kids sit around and play on an iPad, they're probably in halfway decent shape and they're going to be totally fine if they get this. It's just going to roll over them probably less severe than a typical flu would because the mortality rate is lower for them than it is with the typical everyday flu. More importantly, this article goes on to talk about the CDC's insistence not only on vaccinating the kids, they seem to be hell-bent on getting them a double dose of the vaccine. They won't even consider that perhaps a single dose of the vaccine in, you know, much smaller people with much higher immune systems and much greater capacity to deal with this virus in the first place, they don't think that even a single dose of one of these vaccines is worth considering. And and here's the actual part of the article that goes into talking about that. Authorities should also consider whether a single vaccine dose is a safer option for healthy kids. Researchers at Tel Aviv University reported that a single dose of the Pfizer vaccine was 100% effective against infection in kids 12 to 15. Not only has the CDC refused to examine the possibility of a one-dose regimen for minors, Harvard epidemiologist Martin Kulldorff told me he was kicked off the advisory committee working group on COVID vaccine safety after he expressed a dissenting opinion. So we're not even allowing dissenting opinions in the room where the scientists are analyzing the quote, science. Sort of seems like there's a narrative, right? We totally ignored the lab leak theory until it became blatantly obvious that it probably did leak from a lab. And now we're just going to completely ignore any alternate theories about vaccine. We're even looking, we're, we're looking at a compromise here, folks. We're not even saying we don't want to vaccinate the kids in this particular case. Somebody's just saying, hey, maybe we don't have to vaccinate them like we do with a full grown adult. Maybe one dose is fine for them. No, 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 no. That can't be. We can't do that. Well, why not? Well, we can't. You're off the board. That's how that's going. So when we hear, trust the science, trust the doctors, trust the... This is is them. They're kicking out people who are also scientists and doctors who who dare to have an alternate opinion. How dare you? How dare you? All that nonsense. So I'm just saying these are the people that want you to get your kids vaccinated. They're not even worth considering. Maybe one dose is enough. No, no, no. They got to get your kid. They got to get them with two jabs. They got to recode their RNA, all that good stuff. So that's those are the people. I'm just saying consider the source here. They're not even willing to consider other doctors and scientists' opinions on the matter. They're so hell-bent on a particular end goal here, whatever that may be that it just sort of seems like they're willing to twist the science and the data however they ultimately want it to look so that we'll go along with their master plan. By the way, it does seem sort of like the goal here, the end game, or at least the public-facing end game, when you hear these people talking about masks and lockdowns again and travel bans everywhere but the Mexican border, 
um, you know, all this sort of stuff. We're, we're just hearing all this, this newfound hysteria, and it all seems to be pointing towards they're not going to stop until there's no COVID, which is not good for us because there will never not be COVID. COVID will just exist forever. It'll eventually probably get mild, as I'll talk about at the very, very end of the show, and just become part of the flu season. But we will never live in a world without COVID. You know how I know this? Well, because there was this bad orange guy who used to live in this oval office in this White House, and he said that we would be down to no cases, and all of the same clowns now that are pretending like it's rational to make public policy around the idea that there could one day be no COVID, they were the ones kicking and screaming that there will never be no COVID way back in April of 2020 because orange man bad, I guess. So they told you there will never be a world without COVID, and yet they seem to have all of their policy prescriptions geared towards trying to create a world without COVID. It's very dumb, I know, but here we are. So, like I said, some of the mask mandates and threats of lockdowns are coming back. Why? I don't know. I have no idea why. It's not like there's any science or data that would dictate that this makes sense. Let me give you a few points of data that are fact-checkable, and I encourage you to do so. 90% of people over the age of 65 have received at least a single vaccine dose. 90%. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of grandmas that Andrew Cuomo can't kill anymore in all likelihood. Very low percentage of the 90% of all grandmas out there are in any serious danger because of a potential breakthrough But even in that case, the vaccine will help them deal with the virus, and hopefully they won't have as serious of a case. But 90% of the elderly, for just to lump them all in together, 65 plus in this country, have received at least a single dose of the vaccine. Even with a single dose, that gives most people somewhere between 75 and 80% efficacy, as opposed to getting the 95 when you ultimately receive the second shot of either the Pfizer or the Moderna. So why are we bringing all these masks and stuff back? Yeah, yeah, cases and all that stuff. We're hearing cases all left and right. We're hearing about the cases so much that even the White House has reached out to CNN and been like, why you guys keep talking about cases? We've got minimal deaths here. We're trying to do a fucking victory dance about this thing, and you guys keep bringing up cases because you guys can't even get on the—the left can't even get on the same page with the fear porn. They just know they need it, and it'll be varying forms of fear porn, but— all the fear porn. That's that's what we have ahead of us for the next several months, at least. Because we've hit critical mass, right? I talked about this several months ago. We'd eventually get to the point to where everybody who wants a vaccine can get a vaccine, and everyone who doesn't want one isn't going to get one, and they're going to continue to try to force you to get one through any mechanism that they possibly can get, making all of us all the more skeptical as to why they're so gung-ho about us getting one, when most of us have made our own personal judgments and risk assessments and have decided There's no need for us to do this and take any risk of any long-term effects of the vaccine, which certainly could exist in the Moderna and the Pfizer ones because it's a new technology that no one has ever, ever used before, certainly not on a large scale like this. And the Johnson & Johnson one seems to have a lot more problems or at least more side effects. You hear more reports of it anyway. I wonder if that's because that's true, in which case 
there's another reason to be skeptical of it, or because they're trying to get people to go away from the old technology and get everybody on board with the new technology, which may be nefarious, none of us know, and why the fuck would we run that risk if we don't need to? That's where we're at. So, why? Why are we doing the mask mandates and the lockdowns and blah, 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 blah? When we were at the absolute peak of this pandemic, folks, we had a seven-day rolling average, this is across the country, of 4,290 people dying a day of this virus. That's the seven-day rolling average as of January 14th, 2021. Doesn't sound like all that long ago, and that's because we've come a long way since then. Our current seven-day rolling average of deaths in the United States is 331. We had four, we had basically 4,300 people dying a day for a week in January. We're now down to a hair over 300, 331. Why are we putting in lockdowns now? This number, by the way, has come down from basically more than tenfold since the peak, which was only six months ago. For those of you who are unaware of how graphs work, this one is a dive bomb, folks. It starts up here, it ends down here, and there's no real sign of it coming back up in any serious fashion. Again, 90% of the most vulnerable people in our population have received at least one dose of the vaccine at this point. Yes, there are some breakthrough cases, but even by the White House and the CDC's own admission, they are rare. Begging the question, do we build entire public policies around rare? No, we don't do that. That's not a thing that happens. Certainly not things that affect everybody. If there are rare instances, you write rare and niche laws that cover those specific circumstances and or those specific citizens. Not writing large sweeping legislation to protect people like myself who have already made the decision that we're protected enough. We're good. Our bodies have wonderful immune systems. They will handle this. They will roll over us like nothing, and we will go about our lives. Meanwhile, you guys have an experimental drug injected into your bodies for life. And it may be fine. It just might not. And um, you're going to find out before I do. Sorry. So let's get into the specifics here. Let's look at California and the District of Columbia. We'll start with the latter first. So the District of Columbia has reinstated indoor mask mandates even for the vaccinated. Now, this is sort of crazy. Let's look at the District of Columbia. It has an official population of roughly 700,000 people. So it's not even a million people. So when I give you these numbers, take into account scale versus other states that do have millions of people. But D.C., hasn't had a seven-day rolling average of over one death since May of May 25th of 2021. So it's been two full months plus since they've had a week where even seven people died. <laughs> it's, I mean, I don't mean to laugh at seven people, but we're talking about a place that has 700,000 people. That's one in every 100,000 people died that week of covid and that was, you know, basically their peak for the last six months. The last time they had a seven-day rolling average of deaths that were even in the double digits was May 14th of 2020. It seems to me there is not a serious epidemic of people dying in Washington, D.C. as a result of this virus. Call me freaking crazy. 
Could it be that D.C. is often populated by a large swath of people that work in the government and have been vaccinated and certainly following you know, all these measures earlier than most from the beginning? Yeah, that could have a lot to do with it. But that doesn't change whether you make a mask mandate or not. That's still the state. That's still the, the state of things. That is the way it's going to be in D.C. Basically, D.C., of all the places in the world that have any serious issues going on here, not particularly that big of a risk of dying of COVID in D.C. You're just not. Obviously, you're at an even lower risk if you're under 65, you're not obese, and you're relatively healthy, meaning you don't have any serious pre-existing conditions, particularly anything related to, you know, asthma or respiratory anything. That obviously is a big one with a respiratory virus. But they're panicking, and they're shutting down, and they're threatening to lock down and close the schools and go back to all the same craziness that we were going through at the absolute peak of this thing for one death a day. Washington, D.C.'s current seven-day rolling average of deaths is actually zero, by the way. But, you know, we got we to gotta go out there and have all these crazy mandates. But, by the way, the mayor, she can go to weddings and take off her mask and take pictures with Dave Chappelle. That's how this works. Freedom for me, not for thee. Let's move to California. Much larger place, much larger, you know, population to look at here. At their peak... California's seven-day rolling average of deaths during this whole pandemic was 566. That's just California, 566 deaths per day in the state of California over the course of a week towards the end of January 2021. This is a state that has nearly 40 million people in it. Their current seven-day rolling average of deaths is 39, and they are beginning to reinstate mandates and threaten lockdowns and shut down businesses all over again because of the one in a million chance on any given day you might die of COVID in the state of California. 39 people a day, 39 plus million people living there. You do the math, folks. You basically have the same odds of getting struck by lightning, but I have some weird feeling that they're not going to ban lightning, which California would probably think they could do somehow, nor will they ban people from going outside during rainstorms. This is silly, and only places like California and the District of Columbia could possibly go along with it. What is wrong with the citizens of these places? How, in God's name, do you continue to allow yourselves to be shit on? It's, it's, it's electoral BDSM. It's like, please, no, don't tie me up and make me do that. Oh, but okay. That's, that's where these people are at, except that's how they live their lives, socially, politically, and probably sexually, I can imagine. Oh, and by the way, considering all these masks, upticks, and blah, 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 yeah, the masks don't work. They don't work, particularly against the Delta variant. But hey, don't, don't take my word for it. Don't listen to this right-wing conspiracy theorist. Here's Dr. Michael Osterholm, Osterholm, my apologies, on CNN, no less, explaining how these masks, certainly the cloth coverings and the, even the uh, the surgical masks, the blue, you know, little ditties that everybody's got, those are not effective against any of this. And, and this is crazy because this would have gotten him kicked off of all social media and banned from polite society had he said it a year ago. And I'm, I can assure you it was just as true a year ago. But here he is, Dr. Michael Alsterholm. Uh, explaining to the CNN audience things that people on the right have known for a year now. 
We know today that many of the face cloth coverings that people wear are not very effective in reducing any of the virus movement in or out. Either you're breathing out or you're breathing in. And in fact, if you're in the upper Midwest right now, anybody who's wearing their face cloth covering can tell you they can smell all the smoke that we're still getting. Yeah. And um, again, this would have gotten him banished from polite society had he said it a year ago. Good thing he waited and it was so nice to see CNN actually allow a little bit of truth to break through on their airwaves for once. But, I mean, let's face it. The CDC not only knows this now, but they knew this the entire time. This is why they have to resort to ridiculous studies for their justifications for the mask mandates now. Their most recent guidance suggesting that indoor masking, even amongst the vaccinated, is is suggested and, and preferable as far as the CDC is concerned. Well, it was all based on a study out of India related to the Delta variant, which is obviously the India, uh, the Delta variant, I believe, originated in India. So that's where they went to get some data, presuming that there's more of it there than anywhere else in the world. They're probably correct in that front. Well, they went there to uh, get a study from India to justify their new mask mandates and lockdown calls and all that sort of stuff. Well, it turns out that that study has a few problems. Well, for one, it didn't hold up to peer review. Now, I'm not willing to be one of these people that says, hey, everything needs to 100% be proven by peer review in order to be correct. It, could, it, was, it was correct before peers reviewed it. That doesn't necessarily mean it's more correct now that peers have reviewed it. It's just that it's a process. It's something that verifies what could and could not be true and certainly narrows down the likelihood of certain theories or hypotheses being, you know, correct or incorrect. But... At the end of the day, not only was it was the study rejected because it didn't hold up to peer review, but ultimately the study focused on a vaccine that we here in the United States don't even use. They focused on, of course, the AstraZeneca vaccine, which hasn't been issued for use here in the United States at all. So they're tracking a, a, a vaccine that we don't use as efficacy on a variant via a study that was rejected by peer review. That's our CDC. And that's what they're making decisions on when it comes to your kids and whether or not you should be vaccinated and whether or not places should be able to evict their tenants who haven't been paying rent for months. It seems like there's something else going on when you see these sorts of things. And again, I, I don't know what that thing is exactly. I don't know what the end game is here, but it, it clearly is not wise public policy making in conjunction with sane medical advice. I don't think that's what's happening at all. And I haven't thought that that's what's been happening from the beginning. And I and many of you have been proven correct 100% as this thing has continued. So last but not least, you know, I like to always close with a little something outside the box. I'm going to share with you a clip from an article from Smithsonian Mag. Not the biggest fan of the Smithsonian after their, you know, hot takes on whiteness earlier in the year. But nevertheless, uh, this was an interesting theory, and I have the article uh, linked in the show notes for you, so definitely check it out. But this is a theory, and it's just a theory, and the article itself goes on to kind of give the other side of this theory, but I'm just going to give you the theory itself here. And it talks about respiratory viruses and how they evolve. So important to note, respiratory viruses different than other pathogenic diseases, right? So the bubonic plague is carried by hosts, by pests, in particular rats. So as long as that virus can get onto a rat, it can then in all likelihood spread either to another rat or to a human or to some other animal for that matter. But the bubonic plague wasn't particularly 
lethal to rats because rats were helping spread the plague. You see, a virus has one goal. It's not a sentient being. It doesn't make this decision consciously, but a virus, like all life, longs to continue to exist and to proliferate and to spread. Well, a virus needs hosts in order to spread said virus. A virus can't spread itself. It needs a host in order to spread it to another host. So a virus gets onto a rat. In this case, of the bubonic plague in this particular instance gets onto a rat. That rat runs across your kitchen. You somehow, you know, fall on the ground. You poof, your face goes where the rat was. Now you've got bubonic plague, whatever, RIP. This is obviously a very dumbed-down version of it, but because the rat isn't necessarily affected by the bubonic plague, it's able to continue to spread. It gets to you and you die. Fair enough. But a respiratory virus doesn't spread the same way a bubonic plague or other diseases spread. It spreads through droplets. It spreads through aerosolization in the air from one host to another. Now, what's important, as I mentioned before, is that a virus needs a host in order to spread it to other hosts. A virus can't just up and walk over and say, hey, how you doing? Something's got to put it out there in order for something else to absorb it. Well, in this case, we're the vectors of transmission. People are. And if a virus wants to continue to exist, if it kills all of its hosts, stopping it from spreading to other hosts, that's not a particularly effective mechanism for continuing to live if you're the virus. The virus wants to continue to exist and it wants to spread. So the theory here goes, and I'll read the article here to give you the more fine point of it, but basically the idea is that Respiratory viruses typically get less lethal over time because if they can infect people who then not only don't die, but maybe are so unaffected by it, they continue to go live their lives. Like if you get a mild cold, you don't necessarily shut down and lock yourself in your house for a week. You, you fight through it. You go to work, whatever the case may be. You try to be conscious of other people, but it's not worth you taking sick time or taking time away from whatever it is you need to do because you got a little bit of a sniffle. Well, that's a particularly effective virus because now the host is up and about doing things, engaging with other people so it can spread to other hosts. So the idea here is that the evolution of these respiratory viruses is typically one that, that gets less lethal over time so that it can affect more hosts and continue to spread. We'll give an example of it here, but here is a section of the Smithsonian article, and then I'll give you guys the plugs and send you fine folks home. All right, this subsection of the article is entitled Getting Nicer or Nastier, and I quote, SARS-CoV-2, of course, is well past the teetering stage. The big question now is what happens next? One popular theory endorsed by some experts is that viruses often start off harming their hosts, but evolve toward a more benign coexistence. After all, many of the viruses we know of that trigger severe problems in a new host species cause mild or no disease in the host they originally came from. And from the virus's perspective, this theory asserts, hosts that are less sick are more likely to be moving around, meeting others, and spreading the infection onward. And then there's a quote here within the quote says, I believe that viruses tend to become less pathogenic, says Bertram Fielding, a coronavirologist at the University of Western Cape, South Africa. The ultimate aim of a pathogen is to reproduce, to make more of itself. Any pathogen that kills the host too fast will not give itself enough time to reproduce. 
if SARS-CoV-2 can spread faster and further by killing or severely harming fewer of the people it infects, we can expect that over time it will become less harmful or as virologists term it, less virulent. This kind of evolutionary gentling may be exactly what happened more than a century ago to one of the other human coronaviruses known as OC43, Fielding suggests. Today, OC43 is one of four coronaviruses that account for up to one-third of cases of the common cold, and perhaps occasionally more severe illness. But Fielding and a few others think it could have been the virus behind a worldwide pandemic usually ascribed to influenza that began in 1890 and killed more than a million people worldwide, including Queen Victoria's grandson and heir. End quote. So that's the end of the clip that I'm going to read from the article here. Again, I got the link in the show notes for you. Feel free to check it out. But it makes a lot of sense when you think about it, right? If a virus, its only goal is to produce and to make more of itself, doesn't make a whole lot of sense for it to evolve to be more lethal towards its host, therefore killing its mechanism for transmission. So over time, it's likely that these variants, as we keep hearing them, uh, being referred to as it's very weird that simultaneously Disney's Loki series has word variant all over it so much so that they actually have a jacket that he wears at one point that says variant on the back it's all very cute and whatnot but uh, yeah so all these variants as we keep hearing about them they will continue the fear porn machine rest assured but there is a likelihood that with each new variant it may very well become more transmissible but more benign Meaning that, yeah, we'll have a bajillion cases and CNN will get Jeffrey Tubin out there to jerk off all over everybody. It's sort of what he does. And uh, and everybody will get all excited about it over at CNN. But the rest of us are going to go, okay, yeah, that's great. There's a million cases, but like one person died. <laughs> Can we chill? Like at what point do we get to chill? And they will tell you when there's zero COVID. And like I told you, they already told you there will never be zero COVID. We know this because they yelled and screamed about it. Every time you mention Donald Trump, he said there'd be zero cases. Okay, well, you guys are basically acting like there could be a scenario where there are zero cases. And that's just as crazy as what he said back then. And yeah, what he said back then was a little crazy. Having said that, if we knew when this virus broke actually broke out and we could have shut down travel, we might have had zero cases. But China lied, people died, and then Fauci lied, and more people died, and then Cuomo lied, and sexually harassed a few people, and a few more grandmas died on top of all of that. So everybody keep it scored home. That's uh, China lied, Fauci lied, Cuomo lied, and touched a few people. A lot of people died as a result of all of that. That's uh, where we find ourselves on this lovely Wednesday afternoon. So I'm going to go ahead and end this year by giving you the plugs. Again, find me on Twitter, Parlor, Instagram, at RightOpinionPod. Find me on RightOpinionPod.substack.com or the RightOpinion.podbean.com or RatsaladReview.com or HamminMediaGroup.podbean.com. And if none of that works for you, just search The Right Opinion on your podcatcher of choice. It'll be the one with the thumbnail that's black and white and red all over like the New York Times used to be. And, uh, yeah, that's it. As always, uh, I have to remind you, though, that opinions, they are like assholes. Everybody's got one, but this asshole has the right opinion. You can only get it right here on the Right Opinion Podcast. I've been Harrison Bergeron. Y'all have been awesome. Talk to you next time. Peace. Be the elephant in the room in a room full of elephants. Be the elephant in the room in a room full of elephants. Boom. Boom.